Good morning. Welcome to First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We are a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth, meaning, and beauty. I'm Chris Jimerson, Minister for Program Development here at the church, and I have with me Jules Jaramillo, who is our terrific Director of Lifespan Faith Development and who will be co-leading this service with me this morning as we talk about faith development and how we can carry our faith into our daily lives and throughout the life of this church. I'd especially like to welcome our visitors this morning. We're so glad you're here and we hope you'll join us for coffee and conversation in Housen Hall after the service. We come from a long tradition of seeing a spark of the divine in every person. And it's in that tradition that I invite you to turn to those around you and greet the holy among us this morning. It is also our tradition in Unitarian Universalist churches to begin our services by lighting a chalice, which is a symbol of our faith. Please say with me our words for lighting the chalice, which are printed in your order of service. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. This morning, we are thrilled to welcome back our senior minister, Meg Barnhouse. She leads us in our mission and our ministries, the things we do to live out our common purpose in this church. Our mission is our common purpose. We put it on our wall and we say it together every Sunday. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Our reading this morning is from Sophia Lyon Foz. The religious way is the deep way. The ways that sees, sees what physical eyes alone fail to see, the intangibles of the heart of every phenomenon. The religious way is the way that touches universal relationships, that goes high, wide, and deep, that expands the feelings of kinship. Life becomes religious whenever we make it so, when some new light is seen when some deeper appreciation is felt, when something lar some larger outlook is gained, when some nobler purpose is formed, when some task is well done. Now I invite you into the time in our service where we breathe together. And breathing together, feeling the loving presence of those all around us, we follow our breath to that deeper place inside, that place of greater wisdom, that place that is open to creative possibilities and transformation, that spark of the divine within each of us. And breathing together, we enter a time of sacred silence together, remembering that human sounds and the sounds of small children are a part of that sacred silence in this congregation.
Breathing in, breathing out, we enter into that time of sacred silence together. I was standing on an outdoor platform in Chicago waiting for the train that would take me to my seminary class that morning. The platform was located underneath a street that ran across a bridge overhead, partially blocking the morning sun. Still, one wide ray of sun was shining through, and it started snowing very, very lightly. Tiny, fragile snowflakes were being held aloft by a brisk wind swirling in circles in the air. 
They danced through the bright ray of sunlight, reflecting it in dazzling patterns, as if thousands of miniature mirrors were whirling and casting their own small rays of light in almost infinite directions. Tiny spirits dancing and floating and spreading light into their world. Needless to say, I was captivated, standing transfixed until the sound of my train approaching drew my attention. I turned toward the sound, and as I did, I made eye contact with an elderly gentleman who was leaning on a carved wooden cane for support. He smiled at me. There was this glint of joy in his eyes. I smiled back. Without ever exchanging a word, we both knew that we had both been mesmerized by the beautiful ballet of sunlight and snowfall. We both knew that we had somehow been profoundly moved by it. Riding in my train a few minutes later, I couldn't help thinking that the potential for the religious, the possibility for transformation, exists within any moment. In that small, fragmentary sliver of time on a cold train platform in Chicago, I had understood that this person who I had never met and would likely never see again still was like me, enmeshed in all the beauty and fragility and wonder and suffering and joy life has to offer. I was reminded that this understanding is a place from which compassion and love can flow. This idea that the possibility for transformation is present within every moment has strong implications for how we think about and do faith development. If there is transformative potential in every fragment of time, in each encounter, and if we take the work of the church to be about spiritual growth, then that means we can carry our faith with us beyond these church walls, open ourselves to the ongoing possibility of religious experience in our daily lives, both that which we create intentionally and that which occurs when we are not even expecting it. And throughout the week, everything we do here in the church can be seen as faith development. Religious education is occurring not just in classrooms, but also throughout the life of the church. Every worship service, every ministry team and committee meeting, every conversation during the fellowship hour has the potential to transform us. I wonder if we take this view, how might our church meetings change? Might they focus less on details and more upon values and mission? Might we put our mission at the top of every meeting agenda? Might we, from time to time, begin our ministry team meetings by reviewing our covenant of right relations? Maybe we infuse our stewardship campaigns with our passion for living out our mission in the world and making real differences in real people's lives. Perhaps we pause during meetings for a reflective period or to sing a hymn that captures our vision for creating a better world. How about some time for dancing at the Green Sanctuary meeting? Don't tell Richard and Becky they'll do it. 
The way that we are together becomes paramount. The how we interact takes precedence, whether in the classroom or the boardroom. The method is the message, as our Unitarian Universalist education forebearer, Angus McLean, famously put it. Here is another example. When I was doing my ministerial internship, one project they gave me was to put together an intergenerational Christmas pageant for a December worship service. The pageant was a Unitarian Universalist version of the biblical nativity story. Our cast included folks ranging in age from four or five to this amazing woman in her mid-80s who ran circles around me and kept our rehearsals on track. Putting together a pageant complete with costumes, props, songs, and little children dressed up as the animals in the stable had been quite the challenge, but lots of fun, too. We had camels, cows, a donkey, some doves, and at least a couple of cats. An ongoing challenge had been helping the children to remember that there were imaginary stable walls around the edges of our little dais. More than once during rehearsal, a cow or camel would walk right through one of the imaginary walls and we'd have to stop and remind them not to do that. On the Friday before we were to do the pageant, the news came out about the shootings at Sandy Hook Elementary. On Saturday, I talked with my supervising minister. We had to decide whether to go forward with the pageant or whether it would be too lighthearted given the circumstances. We decided to go forward, but on Sunday morning, we stood together before the congregation and offered a prayer for the victims and their families before we started. I could feel a noticeable sense of shock and grief among our church members that morning. We started the pageant. About halfway through it, one of the children costumed as an animal in our imaginary stable, one of the cats, if I remember correctly, got so wrapped up in one of the pageant songs that she stood up and started dancing. She pirouetted right through one of our imaginary walls, whirling and swirling in balletic circles in front of our carefully set up Nativity scene. She was about the same age as the youngest children who had been killed at Sandy Hook. The woman who had helped keep our rehearsals on track and I were sitting together and we looked at each other, both wondering if we should get up and lead our little dancing cat back into the scene. As soon as our eyes met, though, we knew we had to let her continue. So she was dancing. The music was playing. The people were singing. At one point, the song almost faltered. The children were mesmerized by the little girl's impromptu ballet, and the adults were nearly overcome with emotion. I looked around the sanctuary and saw that the adults' eyes were glistening their tears reflecting tiny pinpoints of light in almost infinite directions across our sanctuary. We kept on singing. 
And the little girl kept her ballet afloat, and our spirits were dancing through joy and sorrow again and back again in small, fragmentary slivers of time. The music and the singing and the dancing were the method that we had to continue our part in the creative co-telling of life's grand pageant was the message. A young girl's dancing had transformed a congregation that morning. I have a spiritual director who says that a key element of spiritual growth is to always be mindful of and open to the possibility of transformative experiences. I think that's right. And I believe faith formation in our churches can go even a step further by helping us to actively carry our faith into our daily lives, to actively pursue transformative experience both in our lives and throughout the life of this congregation. May we always be mindful of our capacity to transform one another. Wow. Chris and I didn't know what each other were saying. Being the second person, um, that, that was wow. So thank you very much. Um, my, uh, I'd like to start my homily with, with also with a, with a story. And, and I love, I, I get so entranced by stories um, and re- religious educators and the telling of stories and oral histories and life lessons, um, I think, have existed, I think, since, well, since understanding has existed. Um, You know, trying to create deeper connections to life and meaning and belonging. And um, I just love stories, too. And this story is true and personal. And it happened after my family moved back to Chicago and served the congregation I, w- I was at before I came here. And my husband and I were invited to share in the Hindu festival of Holi at the Hindu temple of greater Chicago. We were observers in the celebration. And while there, we were invited in a delicious meal and um, invited to join into some of the celebrations and were given offerings to you know for to all the hindu gods and and I hesitated because I wasn't Hindu and I didn't want to disrespect the religious traditions and I was reassured that there were plenty of blessings to go to anyone who was willing to offer, willing to accept them. And so I was, I don't know about you, but I'm willing to accept any blessings. There's not enough blessings in the world, and I was as willing to to accept them. And um, there there was laughter and dancing and babies and elders and teenagers and grandchildren and all ages in between um, a joyous multi-generational experience. And there were so many people at this festival, and we had to use remote parking and be bussed in. And on the way out, um, back to our cars, 
the bus was full, and a pregnant woman and her five-year-old son got on the bus last, and there were no seats available. And my husband got up from his seat and offered this child and this woman our seat. And the man behind us was sitting on one of those, I didn't know they existed, but there's a half seat in the very back. And so this grown man squished over and had my husband sit next to him. And these two grown men sat on a seat this big and, and spent the whole bus ride talking like they were the best, friend, the best of friends, which was amazing. And this little five-year-old sco- scooted in and sat next to me, and the mother sat next to him. And he looked up at me, and his face was completely covered in colors. And they were beautiful. And I stared at them, and I thought, hmm, that's kind of creepy. So I asked him if I could look at his colors. And he showed his face to me with pride. And I said, you have the most beautiful colors I have ever seen. And he smiled, and he lifted it up higher. (laughs) But then his expression changed. And it was actually very disapproving. And he looked at me and he said, why don't you have any colors? (laughs) And I I didn't have an explanation for him. So I said, I don't know. I guess I forgot to get some. And he looked down, thought for a few seconds. And I could see from his expression, he was not satisfied with my answer. (laughs) And then a smile returned. And he looked at me with tender tender eyes and took two fingers and rubbed them down his cheeks and reached up to me and rubbed down my cheeks. (laughs) And he looked up at me lovingly and said, You are beautiful, too. I often return to this beautiful moment with this young Hindu child and the literal mark he left on my face, and more importantly, the symbolic mark he left on my heart. In an instant, just like that, sitting on a bus, I saw his face living and breathing as he reached out to me. And this moment causes me to pause often and consider Unitarian Universalism as a living faith and a living tradition. And what does that mean? As a religious educator, I swear by lifespan faith development as the most direct way to a living faith. My job kind of depends on it. And I also see shifts in my philosophy, lifespan as lifespan faith development, this life as a lifelong journey, all ages, youngest to eldest, as nurturing and connecting not just our minds, but our bodies and spirits to our faith, Unitarian Universalism, and to unfolding the powers and capacities we hold as human beings. I know I refer to mind, body, and spirit often because we sometimes lose sight 
of one for the other. But we are whole beings and experience life as whole beings, as we should also experience our faith. Our minds, thinking, cognitive process, our bodies, movement, action, and touch, and spirit, emotions, sentiment, awe, and wonder are all part of our connections to our living faith. You may have seen the first UU Alive logo on materials or read about it in the newsletter. This intentional focus with First UU Alive is that we are here to nurture the spiritual lives of our children, youth, families, and adults so that we can support one another to grow in our Unitarian Universalist faith, to deepen our sense of belonging, understanding, and respect for one another in our diverse world, and to learn how to live our Unitarian Universalist faith principles and values, not only here inside this church, within these walls, but also in our daily lives, to live our mission here and outside these walls. And when I speak of our daily lives, I am not only referring to the causes Unitarian Universalists are involved in, They are very important to our faith, and we are very good at faith and action. These are amazing and beautiful manifestations of our faith. And these acts are not the wholeness of our faith. As I am not just talking about Sunday mornings and a few times a week at meetings that happen here at church. These are beautiful as well. But there is so much time in between demonstrations, petitions, sermons, and meetings. That is where I look for the space of our faith to become more alive, to flourish and shine. The spaces in between where we live, where we spend the time in our lives, living. One of the favorite aspects for me as a religious educator, and I have many, is shifting our identity from what we do as Unitarian Universalists to who we are as Unitarian Universalists. I have been part of a team of religious educators writing a curriculum called Create Theology Together for the FOSS Collaborative at Meadville Lombard. In the first section of the curriculum, there's an activity where you create a theology window, a lens you look through. It speaks of a principled state of being. I believe that Unitarian Universalism calls us into a principled state of being. It is who we are. Principled state of being. That it manifests in different ways in each of us because part of that principled state of being is that we also have a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. Don't worry, I'm not going to eat a candle or jicama again (laughs) up here. And And the search part of that statement is kind of the key and most important word in that sentence. I have held many coming-of-age programs for youth and some coming-into-age programs for adults. And for as many times as I hear, I can believe whatever I want to believe, 
I will gently counter with and and what is it you believe? Because yes, our faith affirms that we do have the free and responsible search for truth and meaning, but that does not mean that it is a freedom to do nothing. This free and responsible search is an action, motion, and requires movement. It is true that in Unitarian Universalism, there are, there are no promises to creeds required. But what is required for you to use your own reason, experiences, conscience, beliefs, and love, my universalist side must include love, to discover your own beliefs, your own theology, and we don't stop there, or we shouldn't stop there. You are then asked to live by that theology. In essence, this is a chosen faith that you must choose, and it only becomes a living tradition if you, we as a community, keep it alive. And this brings me back to the moment that Hindu child touched my cheek and left an impression on my heart. Know that I recognize that Unitarian Universalism may not be steeped in the history, the mysticism, or the thousands of gods that watch over the Hindu believers. But our Unitarian Universalist faith is a loving, bold, courageous faith. It is a faith that fulfills, changes, and saves lives. And the closer we draw into our faith, And this happens from what we learn here together at church and from the practices we engage in and learn outside the walls of this church, in our homes, as a community, as families, as individuals. It can become so alive that you are able to recognize it as a thriving part of your existence. So much so you may even be able to touch it. May it be so. Please say with me our words for extinguishing the chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. There's a This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at 
austinuu.org.